Romans chapter 5. This text, as I have shared several times before, means a great deal to me. Romans chapter number 5. I've been here many times with you, taking you into this a lot of times on a communion Sunday. I'll take you into Romans chapter 5 and read some of these passages to you. It may sound a little strange, but to me it's like a, my favorite pair of shoes, a comfortable coat, uh, something that, um, that if I'm looking for something to read and I, I want to just sit in a place that's my favorite section, it would be right here, Romans chapter 5. And, and maybe that's why you hear it so much from me. But uh, I'd like to read it to you. I like it especially, uh, not just for all it says and such, but... It fits on one page here in my Bible. And uh, that's kind of fun where you don't have to just turn pages back and forth, especially when you're preaching from the whole chapter, which I intend to do. Um, I hope it's all on one page for you too. That way you're not turning too many times. But I'm going to read it to you, Romans 5. There's uh, only 21 verses in this chapter. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, So death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed, there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of that grace, or the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which carried or came through the one who sinned. But on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from the many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as though 
uh, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Whereas through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so that, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, we have an incredible passage in front of us. It speaks of your kind of love, an incredible love it is, and we seek to know it today. I pray that you challenge our hearts and warm them and draw them to yourself. Help us to see, help us to understand, and Lord, if there's somebody among us who needs to know Christ, may this be the day. For you have presented very clearly in this passage the kind of love you have for us. And we thank you, Lord, for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've shared my testimony several times here in this congregation that was uh, in a classroom at Moody Bible Institute that the Lord spoke to me in a study on the book of Romans. I was a believer at the time, but I didn't know much about my faith. I didn't know much about what Christ had actually done for me. I knew the ABCs pretty much, but that was it. Uh, There in that classroom, I, I began to understand the depth of my sin and the great love of God for me and the grace that he gave to me. These things just worked in my heart in such a way. There are significant things that he's done that showed me how much he loves me. That was a, a crucial point in my life. The first four chapters of this book, as we have worked through them already, I like to call that heavy ammunition. (laughs) They deal primarily with sin. We've seen that. And we might have even found it pretty hard to go through some of those chapters. Because while we were reading those chapters, you might have felt the burden of sin very heavy upon you. If your conscience was hammered, if you feel ashamed, guilty, if you feel overwhelmed with your sinfulness, frightful with the prospect of having to stand before a holy God, convicted and sentenced, good. That's what those chapters do. It's necessary for us to know that, to, to go through such a process to, to show the glorious truth of what God has done for us. We must see. So as we've been working through here, the first four chapters, I, I remember them so well there in that classroom. I remember feeling how, well, thoroughly sinful I was. No one had ever told me that before until I got into those chapters. And, and I had no strength left. I didn't know what to do. And I knew I couldn't do anything myself. I am so glad the Lord did not leave me there. And that's what chapter 5 is. He does not leave us there. Matter of fact, it's verse 8. Verse 8 that stands out to me especially. 
God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, that one stunned me, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. See, we need that verse. We need this understanding. Today we're going to look at it. As we've walked through the first five chapters, or four chapters up to this point, these fundamental things we have learned. In chapter number one, we found that salvation can only be accomplished by the power of God. And Paul wrote there in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We found in chapter 2 that salvation cannot be bargained for. In verse number 11, there is no partiality with God. We found in chapter 3 that the depth of our sin makes it impossible to earn our salvation. Verse number 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In chapter 4, last week, we talked about the fact that it's faith alone, and it must be first, that justifies the ungodly. For in verse number 5 of chapter 4, it said, But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. You can't come to God any other way, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So as he's worked his way through this book, up especially in chapter number 4, he made the issue of faith very specific, very important. It's crucial. Faith is a trust, right? It's a belief that, that the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead has provided for us salvation through our Savior. Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. We could not pay it. He did. And he rose again to prove that the Father was pleased with his sacrifice. And now, through faith in him, we could stand justified before God. Do you understand the importance of such a phrase? To be able to stand before a holy God? And to be able to stand there with all the rights of a child of his? Because Jesus Christ has paid for the sin. The ungodly cannot stand before God. Scripture says that. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. We could not possibly, even if we only had one sin to our credit, we couldn't stand before a holy God. But what He has done for us, that through faith in Him we can stand before God. We can stand before God. That's what he's done. This, this picture, folks, is, is not a complicated one. He stood in our place and took our sin that we could stand in his place and stand before the Father. That's what he's done. You see, salvation is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. There is no better way, perhaps, to express it to people than to understand the concept of a gift. We use gift often. We think of the fact that uh, Christmas is not that far away. 
I started writing on our, our board how many days until Christmas break. I thought I'd encourage my daughters before they went off. And so there was, that, there was 119 just two days ago till Christmas break. And that's a week before Christmas comes in. So you could do the math if you want. It's coming very soon, right? But we talk about gifts. Talk about gifts. And I know this is true. If you tell me otherwise, I'm going to look at you like you're really a strange individual. But if somebody gave you a gift, how often do you pull out your wallet and pay them for it? I don't think you've ever done it. I hope you never have. But a gift is free. It's a gift. We're going to use that phrase here this morning because verse 15 is our key verse to sum up the whole chapter. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. There's a contrast given here. It's pretty clear. Matter of fact, if you visualize it, or if you have to write it out, however you do it, it's just two things you're comparing here. Contrasting, technically. Two things are set side by side. The one has a, uh, is the discussion of the transgression, and the other is the discussion of the gift. There's a transgression, and there is a gift. The transgression we've talked about for four weeks already. Now, it's kind of interesting when Paul gets to chapter 5, he just sums it up as a singular thing. Though he's already defined sin in multiple ways, and even in chapter 1, he gave us a whole shopping list of things that would all constitute sin. We saw that in 1, we saw it in chapter 3. We found that there's the, the capabilities of sins with the mouth and sins with the feet and sins with the attitudes. We saw, we saw it in so many multiple ways. Now he brings it down to a singular thing. He just calls it the transgression. And I think it's a powerful picture when you compare the transgression with the gift. Let's go to the transgression first because it always makes the gift so beautiful. This transgression, he says, it's not like the transgression in verse 15. Um, this is the root, really, of all the others that you could add to it. It's the root. It's the source that all the others come from. If you read a King James, you have the word offense there. The, uh, the offense. The offense that Paul is going to talk about here. Now, in, in the, the Greek language, there are many different words, and even our English translation shows us different words used for sin. Iniquity, transgression, we talk about sin, we talk about wickedness, we, we have a variety of words, don't we? Sometimes you step back and say, well, are they all the same, or are they all different? Why, why different words? Well, even the Greek language has a, a set of words that that uh, they choose this or they choose that to, to express what they're talking about. This one, though, is the perhaps most graphic of all of them. And I like to think of it as the, the one thing that sums up them all. Peritoma is the word. Peritoma. You're writing it. P-A-R-A-T is the word. You've got to have a T in there. 
P-A-R-A-P-T, sorry, P-A-R-A-P-T-O-M-A. That second P is silent. Peritoma. It comes from the little Greek word parapipto. Now that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It sounds like medicine. Uh, parapipto. Uh, it's actually two words. It means to fall. Pipto means to fall. And para means alongside. To fall alongside. And that's the choice that they use for somebody who takes the bad step. Sometimes we use it as a transgression or a trespass. They stepped into the wrong place. Now, in some cases, you could step off the path and yours should be okay. If you step off the curb and you weren't expecting that, you might twist your ankle over and break it. Been there. Not fun. If you're standing on a cliff and you take one little step off the path, you're in trouble. One step makes a difference when you're in a situation like that. This is a word that they use, whether it's intentional or whether it is uh, unintentional. This bad step is fatal. That's the nature of the word that you're using here. It's fatal. It's, it's a word used to describe the nature of sin. You have deviated from the path. The path was perfect. The path was holy. The path was, was where we needed to be in all aspects. But one sin is like one step. You're off the path. One sin. How many sins does it take to characterize somebody as a sinner? One sin. And that's why I like this word especially, because it, it describes in a rather graphic way what actually has happened here. Now, let me, let me define the word for you a little further. When you say para, I told you it means alongside, right? Toma, the second word, is the word for a dead body. And what the picture is with this word concept is that you've stepped off the path, you've fallen down off the side, and into a cemetery. By the way, everyone there has the same characteristic, and you've just joined them. You have fallen alongside the rest of the dead bodies. That's the nature of the word. Fallen alongside the dead bodies. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will die. These things are told to us in Scripture. All of us have sinned and fall short. I like the interesting concept. Fall short of the glory of God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2 starts in verse number 1 there. That's the same concept. Same word here. There we were laying alongside all the other corpses. As Dickens liked to use the word uh, doornail. Dead as a doornail. That's a good picture right here. Spiritually, dead as a doornail. That's the nature of the word transgression. That's what this verse starts with. The transgression. One slip. One fall. Dead. Dead is the word here. How did that happen? Verse number 12. 
says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so that death spread to all men because all sinned. Through one man. Who's that? Adam. We go back to Adam. Genesis records that uh, Adam was the first man created. There were no other men before him. It was Adam that he created. And then Eve he created. There's our first man and our first woman. And they were our first parents. And all who are born on this planet comes from them. We're all brothers and sisters through Adam and Eve. Now, if you want to believe that your ancestors were orangutans or something like that, uh, remember a simple concept that Scripture teaches, that we are made in the image of God. So then your God is a monkey too. But we are created in His image. Adam and Eve were set on this earth to enjoy what God has designed for them. As we would say it this way, our parents give us life. We'd say it in a simple concept. Our parents give us characteristics, our shape of our nose, the size of our ears. You know, we, we talk about our disposition. We talk about our nature. We sometimes find it convenient to blame our parents for certain things. Adam and Eve gave us something else. You could call it a gift if you want, but I don't think you'll find it pleasing. The text says, through one man, sin entered into the world. Through that one man. We know Adam sinned, right? Scripture makes that very clear. He was told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and he did. That was disobedience. In his act of eating, he disobeyed God. He earned death, because that's the wages of sin. He earned death that goes with that sin. God had said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, the penalty of death is very thorough. Very thorough. The reality was, not only was it physical death, but it was spiritual death, too. Physically, Adam's body was not designed to die. Never before had his body known anything about decay or dying. Until he ate of that fruit. Then the process of aging began. The process of decay began. Entered in and Adam lived 950 years with that. And he died. Physical death. Beyond that, there's the spiritual death. Just as physical death separates us from life and the ones that we love, spiritual death separates a person from eternal life and from God. The result of eternal separation from God. I, I don't know if those words strike hard, but listen again. Eternal separation from God. Is God serious when he says such words? Eternal separation from God? I was sitting in the uh, drive-thru at Brahms just last week. The uh, People in front of me must have ordered half the store, so I had lots of time to sit there. And I had the radio on, and this man was on there. I don't even know what station it was, to tell the truth. I just pushed buttons, and he was talking about uh, 
he was actually answering people's questions. And he got into the, this point, and it caught my curiosity just to hear what he was going to say. He was talking about a man who dies, who does not know Christ as Savior, and that uh, he will not be punished forever. He says that he will not. He, he says that's because a, a person who doesn't know Christ as Savior is dead spiritually, which I agree, spiritually dead. But he says that makes him nothing more than a, an animal. He has no soul. So uh, the reality for this this man, as he was explaining it, was that when you die, you might be cost, tossed into the lake of fire, but eventually you're just consumed. You're you're burned up. You're gone. There's nothing left. I'm saying, you know what? That's different than what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 25, he said, to those who depart from me, you who uh, do not know me, and to eternal punishment. He used the words, eternal punishment. What's eternal mean? That's forever, isn't it? That's what scripture says over and over, and this man was trying to, I don't know where he found hope or whatever he thought that was, but to think that uh, God doesn't mean it when he says eternal separation. Eternal. That's a frightful word to think through. That's not partial. That's not temporary. That's eternal. That's what Adam brought to us. Verse number 12 tells us that the transgression of Adam became a gift to every one of us. Every one of us. Sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men. School season started, that means so has flu season, folks. Is it contagious? Oh yes, we know it too well, don't we? You find out when they come home from school that little junior had the flu today, guess what? It spreads. It spreads. This is terribly contagious. It says it spread to all men. All men. Because all sin. That's where we start. That's, there it is, folks. You can thank Adam. <laughs> you were born sinners because your father was a sinner. It doesn't take long to prove it. I'm one who believes we're sinners by nature. Sinners by Action, sinners by choice. It doesn't take long to prove that. The transgression was caused by Adam. It has affected us all. What are the results? Let me just go through a shopping list with you here. Just from this chapter, verse number 6, it said we were helpless. Verse number 6 said we were ungodly. Verse number 8 said we're sinners. Verse number 9 identifies us as being under the wrath of God. Verse number 10 says that we were enemies. Verse number 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Now, some mistakenly believe that, uh, well, Moses is the giver of the law, and, and if there's no law, then there's no lawbreakers. And so they, they, they think that, well, if the speed limit's not posted, you can drive any speed you want, right? Have you ever tried it? 
Well, the law did come in the time of Moses. But look at the years before Moses. Do you know what you see? Cemeteries. This person lived and died. 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 What is that? The law of Adam. The soul that sins it shall die. Now the reality is, it's not because you've eaten of a certain tree. We don't have to sin in the same likeness of Adam. Sin is sin. The wages of sin, no matter what the sin is, is death. And he said it so clearly in this passage, death reigned. Death reigned. He says in verse 16 that judgment arose from that one transgression. He says in verse 16, condemnation arose from that one transgression. Verse 19, he says that the one transgression resulted in condemnation to all men. Verse 19, through the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Verse 21, sin reigned in death. This is is Adam's gift to you (laughs) and to me. That's Adam's transgression. That I can do nothing about. Paul's made it so clear in the book of Romans. We cannot bargain with God from a position as a sinner. We cannot bargain with God. He doesn't show partiality. You can't say, but but I have certain parents that are really godly people, Lord. Or I've gone to church my whole life and are given of this and this and this. You cannot bargain with Him. Sin is sin. He doesn't show partiality. We can't earn His favor. We cannot stand before Him. He is holy and we are sinners. That I can do nothing about. Nothing. I've stepped off the path. You've stepped off the path. I've died in my sin. I lay alongside all the corpses of men who have died as well. I can do nothing about that. Nothing. But there is something that God has done about that. That's chapter 5. What God has done. Verse 8. God demonstrates His own love toward us even while we were yet sinners. I love that phrase, folks. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You have to see this here. This is the importance of the death of Christ. It's recorded in the Scripture that Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross. Was He crucified because he was a criminal? No. Was he crucified because he was a sinner? No. He did die. He was crucified. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.24 that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. And this is that gift that I'm talking to you about today. We're going to see it next week in Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Those are harsh, very clear words, but harsh. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, there's no 
other salvation from sin, but that which was accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross. If I am to be saved, I must believe that Jesus died for me. I must. I must trust that He paid the penalty for my sin. I could only have faith in Him alone. I don't come and say, no, you pay half of it and I'll pay the other half. I can't do that either. Either He's paid it all, or nothing has been paid. I have to trust Him. Was His death sufficient? It certainly was. It certainly was. This is the gift that we're talking about here. Let me tell you what comes with it. As I read to you chapter 5, these are the words that he said. He says in verse number 1, we have peace with God. Do you want that? Verse number 2, we have grace to stand in. Verse number 2, we have the right to exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Verse number 3, we have the right to exalt in our troubles too. Verse number 3, we have perseverance. Verse number 4, we have proven character. Verse number 4, we have hope. Verse number 5, it's the love of God which has been poured out in our hearts. Verse number 5, the Holy Spirit is given to us. Verse number 9, we're saved from the wrath of God. Verse number 10, we're reconciled to God. Verse number 10, we're saved by the life of Jesus. Verse number 11, we have the right to exalt in God. Verse number 15, it's a free gift. Verse number 15, God's grace abounds to us. Verse 16, the free gift results in justification before God. Verse 17, it's the abundance of grace that we have. Verse 17, it's a gift of righteousness that reigns in life. Verse 18, it's justification for life. Verse 19, it's made righteous. Verse 21, grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life. All of this is in that package we call the gift of God. All of it. We do not deserve it. We cannot earn it. We cannot pay for it. We cannot bargain for it. But we can take it. That's a gift. We can take it. A gift is given. These flowers are beautiful, aren't they? They're probably designated already. I'm not going to give them away. But what if that card right there said Tommy on it? Wouldn't that be nice? Take these home. They're pretty. They look nice on the table. This card doesn't say Tommy, but what if it did say your name on it? Would you say it's yours then? It's got your name on it. It's yours, right? Not until you take it home. It can sit here the rest of the service with your name on it. Right there. And if you never take it, it's not yours. It can sit here the rest of this day with your name on it. And if you don't take it, it's not yours. It could still be here tomorrow morning. Roy and Leanna would come and clean up and say, Hey, there's that flower. It's got their name on I wonder why they didn't take it home. They didn't take it. It could stay here all week, folks, with your name on it. And if you don't take it, it's not yours. It could stay here for a month, and it's going to start looking pretty bad. It could stay here for a week, 
a month, a year, with your name on it. But it's not yours until you take it. The gospel that we're speaking of today is a gift from God. It's got your name on it. When does it become yours? When you take it. It's offered. That's what we see in this passage. It's a gift that is yours. That's why Paul makes appeals throughout his epistles. He'll say things like this in 2 Corinthians 6. At the acceptable time I listened to you, and the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Then he says in Romans 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Too often we hear of this, the gospel as a free gift, and it sits there, because we didn't call, we didn't take, we didn't believe, we didn't trust. This morning, you have already what Adam gave to you. I don't have a good picture of dead weeds to show you. The nature of sin, the results of sin, the judgment for sin, those are already yours. We're born that way. You would say, well, that's a slight disadvantage, isn't it? To already be born that way. How do we make up for that? We can't. We can't. So you're either standing here with that in your hand and that alone. And that will do nothing for you. Or you have received the gift that God has given to you. How often did he say, and you might have noticed as I read to it, that the grace abounds much more. He liked to use that phrase when he talked about grace. Death is thorough. Grace is even greater. Death kills. Grace gives life. Now, either you have this gift or you don't. Every single person in this room is in that same situation. Either they have received the gift of God or they haven't. There is nothing that is called upon for you to somehow get God to give you this gift. He has given it. Have you taken it? Have you taken it? Because... The beauty of God's love is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration I set before you today. The demonstration of the love of God. Have you received the gift? Have you received the gift? This morning you can do that. Just even while you're sitting there in your pew, you just call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. What's that mean? Just go before Him and say, Lord, without you, There is no hope. I need you now. Save me. You know what? He will. He will. Call upon Him, and He will save you. Heavenly Father, You know every single person in this room and their relationship with You. As one who has come to know Your love, I thank You, Lord, for it. 
we would say that you've made a difference, and that's an understatement. You have made an eternal difference in my life. Giving me the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, though I am a sinner, I am saved by grace, and I thank you, Lord, for it. Lord, there's many in this room who know that too. They've come to understand this gift is given to them by a God who loves them even while they were yet sinners. And they have received that gift too. And we exult in that grace today. We rejoice in it and thank you, Lord, for it. But Lord, you know that there might be some among us who need that even now. Only you can do that work to save their lives. Only you can draw them to yourself. And I pray that you do it right now. Show them, Lord, their need of a Savior. Show them that we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who has died to pay the penalty of our sin, that we might have the right standing before God. I pray, Lord, that you instill that faith in someone this morning. Draw them to yourself and give them eternal life through Jesus Christ. We would have another cause to thank you, Lord. For when we see how great you are, we're reminded over and over and over again, it is the power of God that saves. And we thank you for it. So do your work in our midst, Lord. Wherever the person might be today that needs that, draw them to yourself. For the rest of us, may we be a rejoicing kind of people today for what you have done. It's a free gift, and we thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen.